Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today again by Denise Smith, PT for runners in the Chicagoland area. I brought her on today to continue our running injury series, today talking about shin splints, a common issue with a lot of runners and a lot of CrossFitters because of the running involved. I think this will give you a different look, a different insight into what is actually causing your shin splints and how you can go about addressing it. So let's tune in. Denise, how are you doing today? Hi, Bree. Great. Thanks for having me back on today. You are quite welcome. I'm so excited to continue these running injuries. Um, we decided after we did that first one, that would just be fun to do a series on it. So we'll probably do about one a month for, I don't know, however long we decide to continue talking about running injuries. So um. I can talk about running injuries all day long. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so my that's what my podcast is, is like just talking about injuries. So it's funny that I, I found you because now we can just talk about running injuries and I have somebody that's just as excited about treating this stuff as I am. So thank you. You're welcome. Glad I can help you out. With that. <laughs> so what we wanted to dive into today is a very common issue with a lot of runners. And I also see them a lot of my CrossFitters as well because we do running during the workouts. And that is shin splints. Oh, so yes. There's a lot of... You know, shin splints kind of gets thrown into this whole grouping of potential issues. And um, so I kind of want to break some of that down first. Like when we're talking shin splints, like what specifically is going on and what else kind of gets lumped into this whole category that might be this external issues? So um, it's not, you know, we, last time we talked about runner's knee and we said that was kind of a broad garbage can term that docs will use. Um, to address a couple different diagnoses. Shin splints is pretty easy to diagnose and usually docs from a physical therapist standpoint are um, consistent with what they call shin splints. So usually shin splints, it's any type of anterior leg pain. It's usually on um, the outside part of the leg or the lateral, but sometimes some people will feel it creep more into the medial aspect. It just, I mean, so that's where there will be some variations on what part of the leg they're feeling it on. Um, but usually it's because of misuse of a lower leg muscle. And what will happen is for runners, they will maybe experience it at the beginning of their run, and as they warm up, it goes away. Um, or they're maybe sore after the run, especially when they go downstairs, they may kind of feel this pulling. But eventually as shin splints worsen, they will feel it at the beginning of their run, throughout their run, and after their run. And that's usually what will drive them to see the doctor. In between there, there's a lot of trial and error of them trying things like taping, or um, they'll get, they'll think they need new shoes, or they'll try compression stockings. And so that, that trial and error of different things will eventually lead them to a doc, which is either how they find people like you or I, or they start Googling shin, reasons for shin splints. And then maybe then they'll start looking for um, an answer to why they have it. And it, usually it is a form issue. I'm found that 90% of the time it's a form issue. Yes, there may be a chance that it's your shoes, but before you go invest your shoes, let's talk about form and strength and look at what's happening at your ankle and hip as a cause. 
And I love that you pointed out already that it's not a like equipment issue. So many times with athletes in general, we see them going and getting all these potential Band-Aid fixes that may fix the problem, quote unquote, fix the problem temporarily, but it doesn't actually address what the issue is as true, um, as true base or its true cause, which is essentially typically form. So when we're looking at form, what, where are we breaking down typically with this? Um, there's two parts of the stride that I have found to be the most consistent when someone has shin splints, the, the issues that we see. Um, and number one is overstriding. So landing too far ahead of your body weight um, and landing with that foot way outside your body weight will cause your shin to have to absorb all that impact. Um, people will try to buy shoes with more cushioning as a way to cushion that, but really what happens is fine. The cushioning happens at the heel, but all that force still transfers up through the bone, and that shearing of the bone is what ends up causing pain through that quadrant of your leg. Um, so what we work on from, and sorry, I'll back up. The second issue is when full body weight is on the foot. Um, if you are not strong enough or if you aren't stable enough, so stability in our mind is that there's no wobbling, that the foot is nice and stable when it makes contact and you can support your body weight without losing control of that ankle. If your foot is rolling um, during that mid stance to foot off period, those muscles that support your lower leg are having to control side to side motion, which they're not designed to do. And that excessive pull side to side is what causes the irritation in the muscle. So we have to look back on why, why are you, why is that happening? And, and how can we fix it? And so that's what we start with, with video analysis is looking at where you're landing, where you make initial contact, and then what's happening once your full body weight is on your foot. Awesome. So when we start looking at, actually let's back up a little bit. So before we get to actually how to fix it by correcting that stride, um, correcting the running technique, if someone is out for a run, shins are bothering them, but I mean, maybe they didn't kick in until three miles, and even if they turn around, they still have three miles that they have to run to get back. How does someone go about calming it down while they're out there so they can at least make it home? The quickest tip I use is run backwards <laughs> or do karaoke or grapevine or skip. Um, do something else that shortens your strides, shortens your stride, increases your cadence, um, and gets your mind off of whatever you were just doing. You can't have bad form when you run backwards. Everybody always has really great form when they run backwards. So, because you can't really overstride, you can't push off, you can't do all these things, you can't drive your knee, all these bad things that people do, you can't do when you run backwards. So, shortening that stride, increasing your cadence by running backwards is a great way to test. First of all, it's a great test. Is my form off? Because if it goes away when you run backwards, then we know there's a form issue. Um, but if you run backwards and it gives you a little relief, um, that's great because I get a little technique training while you're running and it will help your, your run get a little more bearable to get home. If you have the option to do some hills, hills are another great way. You can't overstride when you ascend a hill. 
So um, you can when you descend the hill. So that's where you just got to be careful. So if you're you're really stuck and you got to get through, um, I would say stop, do some hill work or do some quick cadence work with running backwards. And that hopefully will get you through the run. Awesome. Thanks for those tips there. So now let's go to where we absolutely love, which is the how do we fix this in the clinic um, when we're working with our athletes? Um, this is where if you have worked with a running technique specialist in the past and they filmed you on the treadmill, this is where I would ask them to refilm you on the ground because the treadmill is going to not give us a true assessment of what your foot is doing when it's on the ground because the belt is moving underneath you. So I will have runners that have come in and gotten fit at a shoe store with these certain shoes and they were put on a treadmill to run and the running shoe specialist will say, oh, well, you're overpronating, over super, supernating, so let's put you in a stability shoe. Well, now you have this foot that's not very stable being shoved in another direction and the lower leg is still going to be moving, or we may see now that movement is happening in the hip. And so I always say, let's stop and look at what's happening on the ground, not the treadmill, because all these assumptions are made just because somebody ran one way on the treadmill. So they come into the clinic, we film them on the ground running, so down a long space, out in a parking lot, on a sidewalk, whatever you have. Um, and you can do this to yourself too. So if you're a non technique specialist listening to this podcast, have one of your buddies film you. You don't have to pan. You hold the camera in landscape position, put it on slow-mo, and just run past the camera. Your friend doesn't have to you know, follow you, just run past the camera. It ends up being about a one or two second video. Um, and then have them film you from the front and the back as well. So run towards the camera, run away from the camera, film on both sides. This kind of four angle view will give us a true assessment of what type of rotation is happening at the ankle as well as where are you landing in relationship to your body weight. Awesome. So, so we have, looking at the technique then, so let's go to the overstriding issue since that's a very common issue with the majority of runners. I know if I get lazy with my running, I start overstriding, um, get shin splints immediately. Once I shorten it, that helps. Um, but I know how to do that. So, <coughs> excuse me. So when we're not working with a running technique specialist and we don't know exactly what to do, what can we do on our own at home to start working on those overstriding issues? Um, well, drills like we had just talked about, running backwards, skipping, um, karaoke, jump roping, anything where you're working on a high cadence and shortening your stride. So let's say you're outside and you live in a neighborhood where there's mailboxes and side or in driveways. So run down your street and do skipping from one mailbox to the next and then run between mailboxes. Then skip again, run, skip, run, skip, run. Keep changing every time you get to a mailbox or driveway, whatever your landmark is. But alternating, skipping, run, skip, run, skip, run. And feel what you feel when you're skipping. What does it feel like to land underneath your body weight? And then when you run, do you feel that same feeling? Do you feel that same impact? Where do you feel it on your foot? Um, what is your other leg doing? Just really, it's hard because us runners like to tune out when we're running 
And so when you're doing technique work, you have to pay attention to what you're feeling. I never, if I have someone do a technique run, it's never for more than 10 minutes or maybe two miles because your brain starts to get really fatigued from having to concentrate so hard. So um, when you're doing technique work, do it in short increments and don't be frustrated with yourself. So run backwards and then turn and run forward. Yes, your neighbors are going to think you're a freak, but that's okay. We don't care what people think, right? So, um, or do karaoke or jump rope down the road or hop like a bunny, really fast, quick stuff followed by a run and pay attention to what is my body feeling when I'm doing this? How does it feel different than when I was running before? Um, so that's one way to work on it. Another way is with a metronome. So for you've worked with a metronome in the past. Yes. So, um, and it's always weird to listen to this ticking noise but you can download a free metronome app or YouTube has people who sat and recorded metronome sounds. Um, we wanted about 180. So we know with research that 180 steps per minute is where our muscles and tendons are the happiest, where they can use energy to help them. So that 180 metronome will sound like a little ticking here. I'll pull up my metronome for you and we can enjoy the pleasure of this. Um, <laughs> And because people actually think it's really fast. So right now, if you're listening to this and you're not driving, stand up for me and run in place. And while you're running in place, does it bother you? Does it hurt? Kind of pay attention to how fast your feet are moving. Most likely, you guys are all running at, in place at this pace. So that is 180 steps in a minute. So it sounds really fast when you listen to something like that, but... In reality, when those people just stood up and ran in place, they probably matched that close. So when we start running on the ground, we have a tendency to slow down. So using the metronome to force that turnover is another way to work on overstriding. And again, do the same thing. Run backwards, then turn and run forward. Run backwards, run, turn and run forward. When you have that metronome on and feel what that shortened stride feels like, that high frequency, um, shorter stride. And if you're tired of the ticking in your ear, um, download a playlist on Spotify or rock my run. That's 180 steps per minute. It's usually a lot of rap and um, heavy metal, but you, and actually I just found out one of my patients told me there's an app where you can put your own music in and it'll um, put it up to 180 for you. I, some of the sound songs sounded a little Elvin and the chip monkey, but, <laughs> but, but if, you, if you, like, you got your jam and you want to go a little faster, like go ahead, give it a try. I had no clue that app existed. I know. I don't know the name of it, but now I got to research it. That's funny. Yeah. I, um, you can also, if someone doesn't have Spotify for whatever reason, um, you can also just Google like songs with 180 beats per minute and just create a yeah. list from that as well. So yeah. uh, that's what I usually do have people. Most people tend to run with music, especially if they're running by themselves and prefer that over the metronome. So a lot of times I'll steer them in that direction more than, um, more than the metronome, but yes, yeah. I've done, I yeah. definitely do both, especially in the clinic. I'll definitely use a metronome. Well, and the general way that most people think about using the metronome is they'll think about it when they're laying, but that doesn't ensure that your back leg is where it should be. We always, we're like pistons. We want to have one leg up and one leg down. And my mentor um, Dr. Nicholas Romanoff, who created the pose method of running, talks about this a lot, is that that back leg, that pulling of that back leg is really the key to a fast turnover. Um, we can't do anything until that leg is underneath us. 
the, the one that's coming off the ground. Until it's underneath your hip, you can't do anything. So you can't transfer your weight um, until that leg is there. So I encourage my runners to focus on when they hear the tick, tick, ticking or the feel the beat of the music, that they're thinking about the up leg, not the down leg. So that way it forces that turnover. Yeah, and that's a great tip. And I Did know, I just I, you? what was that? Um, yeah, that's a great tip. I remember oh. I picked that up from you because I had always focused on the hitting the ground part. And then uh, when I met you in November out here, I definitely switched up kind of my thought process on where where that beat is with or where which leg I'm focusing on with the cadence. So that's awesome. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I lost what you I didn't hear what you said at that point. So you switched it up. You started having um, changing up how you were giving the cues. Yeah. So I, well, I always focused on, like you said, that foot hitting the ground part. And so I definitely recently switched up focusing more on that where that foot is off the ground versus on the ground on the, on the metronome. So, um, which definitely forces that quicker turnover in a, I feel like it's an easier way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And it does take a little bit of work. I'm not going to lie. Like, it definitely is easier to focus on the landing because you get that immediate feedback that your timing matches the beat. Um, so don't be frustrated if you try it and it's awkward. Like, I think my foot's underneath me. I'm not sure. Um, so that's where video can help. Like, is your timing, is your timing good? Um, yeah. Another thing you can do is run with a running buddy. And one of you runs in front. This is my favorite drill. It's called the infantry drill. So one of you is running in front. Um, the other one puts their hands on the shoulders of the person in front. So you're pretty close together. And you guys start running in place. Make sure you're on the same cadence and your feet are landing together, right, left, right, left, right, left. And then you run forward. So you're kind of like an infantry moving forward, but your hands are on their shoulders. So you have that physical contact. Um, you will not overstride then because you don't want to kick the person in front of you. Or if your person in front, you don't want to clip the person behind you, so you'll shorten up your stride. So that's a really great drill to try with a metronome or um, with music, too, because then you guys can really see how your rhythm is. Yeah, definitely. What do you, or, yeah, we'll, we'll go that way. What suggestions do you give for, like, how fast increase um, in the form of, like, if someone comes to you and their cadence is, like, maybe 150? Do you suggest to go straight from 150 to attempting 180, or do you kind of progress them over time? I, you know, this is always our favorite answer. It depends. Um, it depends on their athletic ability. So if they are really good, if they're very agile, if I can give them quick commands and they can shift their body weight and they move really well, I might up them a little faster than somebody who's a little less coordinated because it takes coordination and skill to be able to perform the same thing over and over again. So I, I kind of look at the person as a whole. Um, they may feel a little more out of breath if they increase their cadence, not necessarily because they're increasing their cadence, but because they're more efficient, they may actually run faster. So then they may become out of breath. And so I don't want to scare them away from increasing their cadence because sometimes I'll have athletes who I up their cadence and they're so out of breath that they don't want to do it anymore. Um, I tell them, we have a training issue. You, you need to work your heart and your lungs, but that's a story for another day where we can talk about cadence and speed and <laughs> cardiovascular fitness. Um, so the, so sometimes I'll just start people if they're at 150 and it's going to be a stretch to get them to 
80, I might start them at 170 and encourage them to slowly work their way up. Yeah, that's kind of how I do it. I I typically like I'll start out with people, like tell them like a 10% increase. So if they're at like 150, I'll kind of work on that 165 and kind of work yeah. work up as well. Cool, cool. Um what do you find as far as how the hip and foot strength wise play into shin splints? Well, that's where what kind of leads us into that second thing about what happens when you're actually on your full body weight is on that leg. If you are weak through your hips and you're maybe dropping on one side because you're weak on one of your hips, that foot is going to, or that lower leg is going to shift because of that transfer of weight that happens. And so again, a lot of well-meaning shoe fitting experts will see that rotation happen through your hips and assume it's happening at your ankle, which is why they put you in a stability shoe. But really, it's because you have this drop on one side. So hip strength, hips are probably, I don't know if I should say the, but probably in the top two reason, two, two muscle groups that runners under train. Um, that ability to stand on one leg is imperative to running because that's all you do. You're always on one leg, one leg up, one leg down. So working on your balance and working on your hip strength on single leg is really important to your performance as a runner, especially if you're going to be talking about how to prevent injuries. So, um, you know, we always joke about the clamshell exercise where you're laying on your side, your feet are together, and you're bringing your knees apart. PTs love this exercise. And so keep it up. Let's keep doing it, but do it standing. Um, put a resistance band around your knees to make it a little harder. Make your hips stay level while you're doing a, like bringing one knee out and then one, that knee back in. Now, as far as the ankle goes, um, again, if you aren't stable on one foot because you have trouble with your balance, I have so many runners that come in, they're like, my balance is terrible. Well, then how do you run? Like, how are you a really an efficient runner? If you can't even stand on one leg, we got to talk about this. You are really putting yourself at risk or if you're a trail runner for an ankle sprain or um, the shin splints, some posterior tibialis tendonitis, some Achilles tendonitis, um, plantar fasciitis, you're, you're due for these injuries if you're not going to work on your balance and your control of your foot. So a really important aspect for stability to keep that foot from rolling too much when all your body weight is on it. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry for the long-winded answer, but... <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. Um, and I, I think you... You said it exactly like a lot of, well, foot and hip both, but, um, yeah, we don't runners don't work on their hips a lot unless they've been to therapy and have had an injury or had an injury and gone to therapy or, um, started doing their own research to understand that they need hip strength. Um, but a lot of times when it comes to foot and lower leg injuries, they don't even go that direction of hip because they just figure it's something, something lower. So yeah, that hip is such a big deal for so many injuries. Um, I would say as well that that top two. Yeah. And I think that again, some well-meaning, well-meaning podiatrists will put some of their patients in orthotics at that point too, if they go see a podiatrist and I'm okay with, some orthotics, but if the problem is really coming from your hip, locking the ankle into one position isn't going to fix that, and we're just going to see a, a problem elsewhere. Um, and that's the struggle that I deal with with a lot of my runners. They've been in orthotic for so long 
that it's hard to get them to trust the fact that their body can stabilize without it. It's a brace. Like you, I think you've said this, it's a brace. So um, if, if your shin splints are plaguing you and you've had orthotics put in, let's look above then, then that spot. You know, we always say as PTs, we look above and below for a dysfunction. So start looking above. Yeah, definitely. So to kind of just like put this all in one little happy package, <laughs> when we're talking about kind of do a, like a quick overall summary, as far as when we're talking about shin splints, the, let's go the two main causes of it, what we can do um, while we're running, what we do typically in therapy or self care and just kind of wrap this up in a good summary. All right. So rapid fire, rapid fire. Okay, you're going to have to repeat that list again. Awesome. So first of all, what the cause is? Yeah, let's go to the overall causes. <laughs> okay, so cause number one is your running technique. You are either landing ahead of your body weight or you're not stable enough when you're on single leg to control it. Um, another reason for it would be simply that you're too weak and you need to strengthen things like your foot and your hip to improve it. Awesome. And then if it is a form issue, what can we do to address the form in like some easy steps? Uh, technique drills such as running backwards, karaoke, skipping, hopping. Um, you know, my middle schoolers, I make them do Fortnite dances because it causes them to land underneath their body weight. I don't care what you do. Just find an activity that causes you to land underneath your body weight and then follow it with a run. Drill, run, drill, run. Keep alternating so that your body can sense the difference in the movement patterns. Awesome. And then final, if someone is like five miles from home and they get shin splints and they need to make it back, how do they get back? Run backwards. Do something else. If you can tackle some hills, uh, do anything to shorten your stride. Turn on a metronome, um, turn on some music that's 180 steps per minute and try to keep up with that. Shortening that stride um, and increasing your cadence can help you get through it because then the shins aren't going to hurt because they're, the muscles that are surrounding that area are being utilized in the way that they're designed. Perfect. So if someone has more questions for you, where can they find you? How can they reach out to you? Uh, well, we are on uh, Facebook and Instagram, Smith PT Run or Smith Physical Therapy and Running Academy. Uh, we have our own, well, our podcast isn't quite ready, but it's almost there. Um, we'll be having a podcast come out soon and then uh, we're on YouTube as well. And our website is smithptron.com. You can always call the clinic, um, which you can find the website too. I, I love talking about this stuff. So if you ever want to just do a 15 minute consult, um, for free, just call me and we'll talk all things running. <laughs> awesome. Well, Denise, thank you for joining me again today to talk running injuries and then we'll definitely do this again in the future. All right. Thanks for doing this, Brie. I feel like we are going to be able to help a lot of runners. We've already helped hundreds of runners collectively, but the more runners we can help, I really think our goal to get the running injury rate down is going to happen. So thank you for doing this. You are quite welcome. And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional. I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. 
Until next time, go out and be highly functional.